Amen. Thank you, Caleb. And thank you, team, for leading us in excellence to worship our great God who is very worthy. It's an honor to be with you and bring God's word, James chapter 1, verse 27. So I hope your Bible is opened there. It's also an honor to serve you as the leader of the GDAB. There are about 100 churches that are in our association, our family of churches. We support each other. We help reach out to isolated pastors and encourage them. We seek to equip church leaders with coaching. Jason Wing serves as our coaching team leader, puts in a few hours a week. You all keep him very busy here, which is awesome. And then we also work together to plant churches. And so being a part of the GDAB is a really great privilege and honor for me to uh, be able to be here and bring God's word and serve the Wing brothers as they are, uh, Jason and Phil are in Michigan or on their way back, uh, dealing with uh, death in their family. And so when Jason called and asked me to come preach, of course, I'm happy to do so and uh, serve him in that way. It's one of the favorite things I get to do. I served in church ministries for over 20 years and and uh, been preaching for a long time and really appreciate the opportunity to bring God's word to you. So we're going to continue on in the series and uh, very simply, we're going to keep the truck rolling. To be a wholehearted disciple of Jesus, we must make him known mercifully. So last week, Phil talked about making him known mercifully by caring for orphans. That comes from James 1.27. But in addition to caring for orphans, James 1.27 tells us to care for widows. I'll tell you, these ministries of mercy, serving orphans, widows, and others who are downcast, it's a great, great privilege and a, a discipline that the Lord has used in my life greatly as I've battled certain idols, particularly the idol of productivity. There was a time in my life when I would kind of defend my idol of productivity just by simply saying, I'm just trying to make the most of my life, trying to make the most of every minute, get stuff done. The problem was that I was trying to be productive using the methods of the world and the evaluation of the world. I was just trying to be successful in the world's eyes. And when the Bible's message came to me, like James 1.27, that says, pure religion, true and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to care for, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. That really brought to bear in my life the king's economy, which is right side up, and it reveals that my economy was upside down. I was all about getting bigger, faster, and stronger. I was all about credentials. I was all about trophies. I was all about success. I was all about personal glory. But these disciplines that come to us from God's word, these commands for our behavior, these rhythms of life that God expects us to embrace and follow after, they put things in proper perspective and they give us the right purposes in life to pursue. And this is a great one that God's used in my life in a tremendous way to visit with, to care for and look after widows. I hope that it's helpful for you this morning. I don't know if you're here dealing with idols of productivity where you really got to get stuff done and make money and make a name for yourself. I don't know if that's where you're at, but I do see it in churches often. Churches as corporate bodies, as families often get sucked into the ways of the world to say, oh, we got to get bigger, faster, stronger. And God's word comes to us and says, time out. 
Take a breath. God cares about widows, and God commands his people to care about widows. It's not going to get you more likes and followers on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and whatever, but it's near and dear to the heart of God, and it gets the church in proper perspective, ultimately to know God as a merciful God and then to make him as a merciful God known to the world. So that's the big idea of this sermon, is that we make our merciful God known to the world when we mercifully care for those in need. And specifically, we're going to talk about caring for widows. So there are really two very simple questions that I want to answer today from God's word for us. Number one, I want to answer the question why we should care for widows. And number two, I want us to talk together about how to care for widows. And my prayer is that you'll walk away from this sermon being a doer of the word, as James says in James 1.22. Not hearers only. You didn't come just to learn or listen. You came intent on following through in obedience to God's word. And so I hope your pen is ready to write down. I hope that your heart is ready to receive and your hands are ready to obey God's word. Number one, let's talk about why. Why do we care for widows? Well, first of all, we care for widows because God's word commands us. God's word commands God's people to reflect him by caring for widows. So this verse here in James 1 doesn't come to us in isolation from the rest of the Bible. It does say clearly there, right? You saw it? Pure undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In this sandwich of three items, to care for orphans, care for widows, and keep oneself pure in the world, we're going to focus on that middle one. That middle one, just like the, the bread, the first and the third, care for orphans, keep yourself unstained from the world, is a command that's repeated regularly throughout the Bible. I mean, from the very beginning till the very end, care for widows is there. I want you to look and see just a few of these verses in the Bible. Keep your finger in James 1, we're coming back. But for now, turn to Deuteronomy. It's in your Old Testament, several books away from Genesis. Deuteronomy chapter 10. I want you to get a snapshot of two things. Number one, I want you to get a snapshot of God's heart for the widow. And number two, I want you to see God's heart expressed in his commands for his people. So Deuteronomy chapter 10 says it very well. Verses 17 and 18 are instructive for us. Verse 17 says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great mighty and awe-inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribe. Now pause there for a moment. We're going to read verse 18, but isn't that's just a great summary statement of who God is. It's a great one. <laughs> really good. Powerful, majestic. I don't know how else I would describe this verse here. Describing God as the God of all the gods, the Lord of all the lords. Great, mighty, awe-inspiring. We might expect upon that reading that description of God, greatness, mighty, awe-inspiring, 
We might expect then the follow-up verse to say, this great, mighty, awesome, majestic God, he recruits for his team those who are also mighty, great, and awe-inspiring. <laughs> we might expect to see the next verse say that God recruits for his team the rich, the strong, the powerful, the influential. We might expect that if we were thinking the way the world wants us to think and the way that our sinful heart wants us to think. But we don't find that. Immediately upon following this description of God as the God of gods, the Lord of lords, great, mighty, awe-inspiring God he is, look at verse 18. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the resident alien, giving him food and clothing. Great, mighty, awe-inspiring God displays his greatness by seeking out loving and defending the most vulnerable among us, the immigrant, the destitute widow, the orphan without a father. This is our great, mighty God. He doesn't just describe it here in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and then follow that with commands for his people. But I want you to see one more text in Psalm 68. Turn with me there to Psalm 68. Psalm 68.5 gives us a very parallel structure. So now you know to anticipate it. Psalm 68.5 tells us about how amazing God is and then how he has a heart for the widow and the vulnerable. Look at verse five of Psalm 68. God in his holy dwelling, pause, that, that's the parallel to Deuteronomy 10 is talking about the greatness, the amazingness of God, holiness of God means that God is distinct and unique and pure. He is holy, he's set apart. There's no rival that God has. He's unique in his class. He's the only creator and owner of the universe, the only sovereign wise God. This holy God is a father to the fatherless and a champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. If I were looking to build up a championship kickball team, I'd go get all the fastest, strongest people with the biggest legs that can kick the ball the farthest. But when God's putting his people together, when God's bringing his people together, he's not looking to build a championship team like we think of. He's looking to build his people that reflect his heart. And his greatness and his holiness is displayed through his loving action toward his people who are in desperate need of his grace. So when we find in Exodus 22, you can turn there with me for a moment. When we find commands of God telling God's people, care for the widow, care for the orphan, care for the immigrant, care for the homeless. When we see these commands, the commands come to us as a priority of God given to us as a priority for our lives. So Exodus 22 is one of these places in my personal Bible reading in the mornings, I've been reading through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And I have to confess, I'm just like you. I'm like, wow, this is tough to read through all this and really stay engaged with all these laws. 
about the sacrificial system and all the rest. The thing that always gets me re-engaged with these is to learn how these laws for the Israelites, the people of God in this time, was to learn how they tell them to live in a way that points them back to him. This is what I want you to see. Look at Exodus 22, verse 21 and 22. It is one of the laws protecting the vulnerable. Verse 21 says, you must not exploit a resident alien or oppress him since you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. Verse 22, you must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, they will no doubt cry out to me. And I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will burn, and I will kill you with the sword. Then your wives will be widows and your children fatherless. That's a really stark warning for God's people here. It's such a priority to God that he said, if you don't do this, there will be consequences. That's when my kids know I'm serious. When I tell my four kids, 10 and under, when, uh, that I'm serious about something, I tell them, you will do this or there will be this consequence. And then they can choose whether they want to obey or whether they want the consequence. And God gives us that choice here, doesn't he? He says, you can reflect my heart. This can be an essential priority in your life or you can face the consequences. As we If you were to do a survey of the rest of the Old Testament law for God's people, you would find the same kinds of commands. You could go to Deuteronomy 24 and find several commands about caring for widows. Deuteronomy 14. Turn with me to Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. As you do a survey of the Old Testament law, the commands for God's people, the command to care for widows comes up repeatedly and it gets very detailed and specific Things like protecting their boundary of their, their dwelling place, protecting them and providing for them with food. There were laws given to people at harvest time, farmers who would farm the fields and they would give them specific laws to leave behind certain amounts of grain and harvest for the widows to provide for them. Tell the combine to take a swerve, a, t- a little turn there and leave a swath of soybeans for the widows. That's what we would say today. They didn't have combines, did they? Proverbs 15 tells us a little bit more about the heart of God and our responsibility to care for widows and reflect God. Verse 25 tells us the Lord tears apart the house of the proud, but he protects the widow's territory. I hope that what you're seeing here is that the heart of God is for the widow and the command of God is for the care of the widow given to God's people. It's our responsibility. Now, consider with me how this carries forward, not only from the Old Testament, God's people there, but God's people into the New Testament. Turn with me to Acts chapter six. I want you to see another example of this. I I don't know what you would expect from the early church history. Maybe they're trying to scrounge up some money to do this, do that. But in Acts chapter six, we learn that their essential priority was to care for widows. The Bible tells us in verse one, in those days as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. 
So from the very beginning, in their earliest roots, the church conducted a daily distribution of food for the vulnerable widows, those who were destitute, those who were, as James 1 says, they were in their distress. And in the midst of this, they overlooked some Jews, uh, some widows, and the ethnic, ethnicity of these two different groups played a factor. Now, there's a lot more to this story, but I'll just summarize it to say they had a system of care, but there were some falling through the cracks, so to speak. Now, if you were going to write Acts chapter 6 in today's time based on kind of how we function as churches and, and society today, you would expect in verse 2, you would expect them to say something like, well, there were some widows falling through the cracks, but it wasn't that big of a deal because we had so many other things to do. We were so busy that we said, well, really, if there were better laws and legislation from government, then the widows would have been taken care of. Well, that's on them. That, that's, not, that's not in Acts 6 too, is it? We don't find in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, a group of Christians saying, we got to get out the vote. We got to get some Christian politicians in there so that the government can do a better job taking care of our widows. Nothing like that at all. Here's what we do find. As these widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food and, and practical needs, the leaders, the disciples, the 12 disciples got together and they said, you know, preaching is essential to what we do. Prayer is essential to what we do. Our brother Caleb would add, music is essential to what we do. And we'd all say amen. There are a lot of essential things to the church, but we cannot afford to overlook a single widow. And in verse two, it says they got together and they said, we're gonna keep on preaching, we're gonna keep on praying, we're gonna keep on singing, we're gonna keep on doing the essentials of the church, including caring for our widows. So they came up with a system and a plan and they said, this is how we're gonna care for every single widow and not a one is gonna fall through the cracks. It's in Acts chapter six that we find the early seedbed of the diaconate, the office of deacon, the servants in the church. That's what they did. They got together a group of people and you know, 21st century Baptists, we kind of read into it. They just formed a new committee, right? The terrible idea, not a committee, a team focused on getting work done. That's what this is. <laughs> well, it's such an essential priority that the earliest of the church focused on caring for widows. They made it a priority. It was essential to what they did. If you were to look at 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 5, you would also see there that by the time the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, that epistle, there was a very established system and method by which every widow would be cared for. They kept detailed lists of widows. It was in 1 Timothy 5, there are additional instructions about how to care for widows. It's a great text on this topic. But the point is this. I think you see from God's word that it is a high priority, has been for God's people from the beginning. The inception of God's people all the way up till now. We have examples, we have commands. What's going on here? Let me step back and ask a bigger picture question. And if you'll let me geek out for a minute, I'll dip into some philosophical conversation. I used to teach philosophy, I haven't in a long time, but I kind of miss it. So give me a couple minutes, if you will. 
Plato, Aristotle, some of these guys, they used to have these debates about questions. They'd make up silly questions sometimes. Sometimes they'd be helpful, and here's one of them. They ended up calling it the Euthyphro Dilemma. The Euthyphro Dilemma goes like this. Is, is our expectation for doing good and, and what defines good, does that come from an arbitrary decree by the gods? Remember, Greek philosophers. Is good good because good is what the gods said good was? Or is good good objectively in a fixed and steadfast kind of a way that is separate from the gods and their decrees. So they went back and forth on this. The Christian answers it like this. The Bible tells us that good is good, not as an arbitrary decree of God. He doesn't give us the 10 commandments arbitrarily to say, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't kill, because I said so. I, I have to confess, as a dad of a four-year-old, I, I pull that one sometimes. You do this because I said so. You don't have to know why. Just do it. Um, but God doesn't give us the Ten Commandments that way, nor does he give us this command to care for widows in an arbitrary sense, does he? The Christian answers the Euthyphro dilemma this way. Good is good, and God's commands for our behavior are good, because they reflect his character and his heart. In other words, when God commands us, 10 commandments, the whole package, specifically caring for widows, he's saying care for widows, not because I'm arbitrarily making stuff up. I'm saying care for widows because that reflects who I am. You and I have been made in God's image to reflect him. And when we reflect him, we're Make, we're knowing him and we're making him known. It's what we were created to do. And when we care for widows, we're making him known. God being great, mighty, powerful, awe-inspiring, majestic Lord of Lords, King of Kings, he treated us in the same way that he calls us to treat others. This is the gospel logic of the scripture. This is the, how the good news fits together in such a way that it changes our lives. The life of the Christian is not merely following an arbitrary list of do's and don'ts. It's following who God is and how he's dealt with us. Ephesians 4.32 tells us, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. So forgiveness reflects the heart of God. Caring for widows puts on display in a real life theater how God has treated each one of us. If you were to take a look at reality as it truly is, then you would accept the grace of God and his mercy poured out on you in a similar way as we view those who are most destitute in our society. You see, you and I were orphans. You and I were in distress. You and I, apart from God's grace in our lives, we were lost, we were isolated, we were undone, we were enslaved to sin. But God demonstrated his mercy toward us by sending his son Jesus to die in our place and reconcile us to him. God saw each one of us, unworthy as we were, unable to merit his favor in any way, God saw us 
and made us objects of his love, his mercy, his favor. And when we reach out to other people who have nothing to offer us, we get nothing in return, not going to compensate us, not going to make us famous, not going to give us this, that, or the other that we're so easily motivated by, that becomes a selfless act of service that demonstrates and proves that God's love toward us has truly come to live in us. When God created me and you, and he created this world, and even when God decided he was going to save us, he didn't create us because he was lonely and needed us. He didn't save us because he needed us on his team to win the battle. He didn't give us his love and bring us into his family because he thought we were going to be so valuable to his agenda. God is not added to by any one of us. He was perfectly perfect in all of his ways from eternity past, and he will be the same into eternity future. It is purely a privilege that he gives his grace and mercy to us. It is purely of his grace that he invites us in to his kingdom agenda. And it's not because we can add value to God. It's because he gets pleasure. He enjoys the fact that he's able to make us objects of his love. So when you see all these different examples, care for the immigrant, care for the orphan, care for the widow, it makes God known to the world. When we reflect God's heart by caring for widows, we show that the power and the presence of the gospel comes to the broken, us. We show that we become conduits, we become channels of God's grace, extending the love he gave to us to others. When we care for widows, we remind them that Jesus has come God has not left us alone in our despair and brokenness. He sent his son Jesus to redeem us. And in the meantime, while we wait his second coming, your care for widows reminds them he's not left you alone. He's coming back one day. And here's a tangible reminder of my love for you. What a glorious part we get to play in the theater of God's redemptive story. What a glorious part it is that we get to point people to God and the fact that when someone feels and experiences an injustice of some sort, we get to enter into that space and remind them that God's promises are sure. We get to enter into their experience and pain and say, he will make it right one day. We get to remind them, as we sang about earlier, all my life, God has been faithful. All of my life, God has been good. So I hope that you can see that the why of widow care is that because in caring for widows, we're making God known as a merciful God. So let's talk for a few moments about the how. For the next 10 minutes or so, let's talk about how we can show widows genuine care. And when we show gen widows genuine care, we can lead them to trust in God. Okay, so you kept your finger in James 1. Let's look at 27 one more time. I want you to see this word. In this translation, it says to look after widows. My favorite translation says to care for widows. 
The translation I memorized this in says to visit widows. So what is it? Care for, visit, look after. Whenever you see English translations, render it differently. It's a good tip that the Greek word that stands behind those English words are most often complex words with a range of meaning, a depth of meaning that's worth exploring further. And that's the case here. So how do we care for widows? How do we look after? How do we visit them? Well, this word that James uses to describe our actions toward widows is a word that was used of doctors in this time and culture. So think with me about the doctor's visit to a patient. First of all, it's a visit. So it's in person. It's an embodied visit. And the doctors in these days were much like doctors in today's day. They would visit with a patient. They would be with them. They would listen to their symptoms. They would observe their symptoms. They would talk with them. They would hear the story. And they would try to correctly diagnose what was going on and what the true need was. So if the true need was because of this illness they've identified, they need this medicine to help them, the doctor would then prescribe the medicine. If they needed different dietary habits, they would recommend those, or hygiene habits, they would recommend those. But the doctor, in visiting, in looking after a patient, in caring for a patient, would seek, first of all, to understand the true need, the genuine need. The problem is with the way that we sometimes can approach mercy ministries today is that we often forget the fact that we've got to identify first their true need, their genuine need. And our most common pattern of mistake is that we, if we see any kind of brokenness, our most common pattern is just to write a check or throw some money at it. But in reality, If we were to do that, if we were to treat other kinds of problems with finances, it would be just as egregious as a doctor prescribing a medicine for a common cold if they were dealing with something else. It began with the doctor's ministry, began, of course, with being present, with listening and serving them in the way that they truly needed to be served. So let's flesh this out and how we can show widows genuine care by meeting real needs and thus lead them to trust in God. Four practical ways I'll suggest to you. Number one, be with them. This was very clear in James's command in James chapter one that whether, it, whether the best translation is care, look after, visit, being present is number one, important. So where are widows? Well, Many times they're at home, aren't they? So visit them. Go to their house. Call them ahead of time and say, is it okay if I come over and sit with you and visit with you? Come to their house. One of my fondest memories as a child, my dad's a pastor in Butler County, and uh, dad mom would bring us seven kids. Uh, We would uh, make some peanut butter fudge, Buckeye balls, all that kind of stuff, Christmas goodies, and we would bring a, a small little plate to widows and we would sing Christmas carols to them at their door and leave them with the goodies, pray with them and leave. You cannot imagine the joy that filled my heart when I saw their joy as a young boy of of just doing that simple act. And we'd load up in the van and we'd drive out and we'd get it done. 
It's such a blessing to them to sing some songs and to share some candy and visit with them in their home. They would most often invite us to come in. And sometimes we could, but often we were moving right along. A really easy way for you to be with them is to sit with them in church. When we assemble as a church family here, it's a really simple, practical step for you to invite a widow to say, would you sit with me? Did you know that because widow's distress is so acute with losing their lifelong partner, it's, it's a, a level of, of feeling of isolation that I've, I don't have that, I have not been in that experience, but from listening and reading and trying to observe and learn, it's an acute feeling of isolation and emptiness that it's unparalleled by any other experience. It's unique. So I have to say, I, I don't know what they're going through, but what they tell me on a regular basis is that being with people helps them to feel loved and wanted and appreciated. And a very simple way you could do that, a very simple way we've done that over the years of family is to invite someone to sit with us. Since we have four kids, 10 and under, we would sometimes send a kid to sit with a widow somewhere. Like, hey, could you watch over this one? We'd give them the most ornery kid we got. I'm just teasing. We wouldn't do that to them. But it was such a sweet thing for them to have someone to sit with. There's, it's a different experience. Did you know that most widows, they no longer attend the church that they attended with their husband? They no, within one year, they no longer attend church because of some of the pain associated with the memories and the process of grief, which is different for each one. I was with, uh, my grandfather passed away a month ago, and I was with his widow, who's my step-grandmother. And we were t- I was helping her clean out some stuff in the house. You know, she's getting ready to sell the house. And I, I made a com- brief comment just saying thank you to her for sharing some of Grandpa's things with me so I could remember him, coins from his collection and tools and things like this. And I told her, this is so great because I just... These things remind me of grandpa. And this taught me something about the way that we all process differently. We just have to have an open hand to listen. She said in response to me, she said, you know, she said for me, she said, that's why I really need to get rid of these things. And I really need to sell this house and move because for her, the so many memories and years of memories in that house was what actually led her to feel the need to sell and move. And I think what that teaches me and what it should teach us is that we all grieve differently and we all should respect the way that we grieve differently, different times, different ways. But the point is to be together and walk through it together is one of the most powerful things that you can do. Never underestimate the ministry of presence. I just have to share one last brief thing of just something God did in my heart. Uh, I think through the influence of my father, I... When I committed to be in Christian ministry, one of the first places that I went to regularly preach was the nursing home. Nursing home's a great place to visit. You should go there and sit, be with them, listen. But I became a nursing home chaplain. It was at Garden Manor Nursing Home in Monroe, Trenton, Ohio area. And I think they've since changed the name, but I would go once a month. I would lead a service on Sunday afternoons And it was great because I was a terrible preacher. I'm still not really that great, but I was really terrible then, if you can believe that. And it didn't really matter though, you know, because I would preach the worst of sermons and the same response every time. 
You know, everybody would fall asleep. Occasionally they would wake up and say amen. But without fail, as they shook my hand walking out the doors, they would tell me that was the best sermon I ever heard. It was such a sweet experience because they were so supportive and loving in the way they would talk with me. And it was a service to them because we could sing the old hymns and they could hear a sermon and and know that somebody cared about them and loved them and put a service together for them. Our kids, we've, they, off, they take piano lessons and we'll often bring them to a nursing home and ask them, can, can our kids play some songs for your people? And uh, they are just so thrilled when we do those kinds of things. Caroling in the nursing home. All right, I've got to move along. Uh, so be with them. Number two, for a uh, practical way to care for widows is listen to them. Ask them questions about their family, their story, what God's done to sustain them through difficult times and listen and learn. And I cannot express to you in words the sweet moments that me and my family have had as we've sat with widows and just listened and asked questions. And they'll pull out, I just love it, these albums, these treasures of albums with pictures and just tell us stories and show us pictures of the homestead in eastern Kentucky where this one lady was. And and, uh, it's just an amazing experience. But As you listen and as you ask questions about their life and show them you truly care, you'll find what I hope, I expect what you'll find is what I found, is that I really came looking to serve them, looking to listen, show them I cared, listen to their story, learn their story, care about them as a human being, affirm their dignity. But I walked away tremendously blessed and enriched as a young man to hear stories of driving down a dirt road and then putting my life, <laughs> my, my privileged and pampered life in proper perspective of hearing what my great-grandmother went through in the Great Depression. And my life was enriched because I took time to listen to them and learn. And you will too. Well, number three, defend them. There are a lot of bad guys out there, scammers, sweetheart scammers, IRS tax fraud. A lot of people try to prey on widows. Be one who defends them. Be one who's an ally for them. Go with them if they need to go to an appointment of some sort, and maybe they'll have a hard time understanding what's going on. Just listen and help them understand what's being asked of them. Be willing to take their car to the auto repair shop and just get an oil change or something, because when they go, sometimes... Those shops will say, yeah, you need $3,000 worth of repairs on this vehicle. But you know, you just need an oil change. You just need the brake pads changed. So tell the repair shop no and drive the car home and be done with it. So many widows that I know have been taken advantage of, and we can be allies for them to help them. I trust everybody knows what to do when there's an offer for an extended warranty on their car. Okay. I didn't know if those people called you too. Um, And then the last idea here is to serve them. Listen, as you enter into their life, as you listen to them, as you defend them, you will learn ways in which you can meet genuine needs by serving them. For some widows, they really need financial help. In our society today, we do have a lot of things in place that I'm very thankful for to protect widows and to care for widows. We have thing, life insurance and annuities that help many widows. 
There are yet many widows who are in financial need. And I would add, by the way, that you all should keep up the good work on this front. You may not know, but as a member of the Southern Baptist Convention, you give to the cooperative program. And in the cooperative program, there's a a ministry called Guidestone, which has a ministry called Mission Dignity. And they offer financial support to the widows of Southern Baptist pastors who, like most pastors, didn't do a very good job planning for retirement. Um, And so often they find themselves in difficult financial straits. And that mission, that ministry helps widows of pastors. And you play a part in that. So thank you. Keep up the good work. You may also know, some of you may not know this, when Jason and Phil's uh, uncle passed away this past week, there was a GoFundMe campaign for the funeral expenses. And more than the cost of the funerals that were going to be held in two locations, more than the cost was raised because of the generosity and the care of God's people. So for whoever gave, I don't know who you are, but whoever gave to that, keep up the good work. That's the kind of thing that God calls us to do, is to serve widows in their true need, in their distress. It may be, though, that as you are with them and you listen to them and you defend them, maybe that you find they need something simple like changing a light bulb or maybe they want somebody, they're saddened by the way that music in the church has changed and it would be a tremendous service to them if you sang the old rugged cross in their living room. I cannot tell you how many times I have done that very thing and seen lives of widows dramatically impacted because me and my family cared enough to sing a song familiar to them in their living room. Guys, this is not that radical. It's kind of ordinary that you would just enter into their life, listen, love, care, and serve. You may end up doing something simple like moving a piece of furniture that was too heavy for them. It may be that you're able to read the Bible together with them or bring a homemade gift or provide a ride to a widow who is unable to see very well and drive at night or in the rain. Could you imagine a widow that no longer has to watch the live stream, but they're able to come because you pick them up and bring them. There's all kinds of ways we can serve widows. And when we do, I hope you walk away with this, friends. When we serve widows, when we care for them, look after them and visit them, we reflect the heart of God. And my encouragement is that even now you would write it down and commit before the Lord to say, I'm gonna serve widows And here's one practical way I'm going to do it this week. You might commit now to make a phone call. You might commit now to serving or stopping by or bringing a cookie or baking a meal and adopting them to come to your Thanksgiving dinner here in a couple weeks. I hope that you see that one of the ways God wants us to know him as a merciful God and make him known as a merciful God is for us to show merciful acts of compassion to widows. Let's pray together to that end. God, you have been abundantly merciful and kind to us in our distress. Would you give us eyes of faith to see all the others who are in distress around us? Would you help us by your grace to be conduits of your grace, channels of your mercy? And you would help us, mobilize us to be people who serve, who listen, who love, 
who minister through our presence. And as we do so, Father, we pray that you would be known.